Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. First Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were all destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come uh, from you to us and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers... In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking to your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself And our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be able able to be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all of his holy ones. When you read through this, what you hear Paul saying to this church in Thessalonica is you never really know who's saving who when God gets involved. You really just never know who's saving who. Paul showed up in Thessalonica so that he could bring the gospel message to them. If anybody needed saved, it was them, not Paul. But what you hear Paul saying when he writes to the Thessalonians is this, is this opposite thing. What would we have ever done without you? When God gets involved in a situation, it's really hard to tell who's saving who. There's been situations that I've walked into personally and I thought, I'm going to be the one who handles this situation. I will be the one who takes care. And I'm the one that walked away transformed. I'm the one that walked away new. How does it happen? That's part of the reason I think Scripture attacks pride so often and that God is just so turned off by ego. It's because the very second that you get in that place to where you say, look, I'm the one that's in charge. Follow me. I know the way. Like God shows up and is like, let me show you what you don't know. Let me show you where you're broken. Let me show you how you need fixed. And let me use this idiot to do it, you know? 
It's always the way it works. I've seen it happen to me multiple, multiple times. And what Paul writes is, I don't know what we would have done without you. The greatest preacher ever, the longest ministry, this guy, probably more converts than anyone. And he writes this little beat-up church in Thessalonica that's got a handful of people, and he says, I was so worried about your faith. There's got to be a point for us somewhere to where we take our eyes off of ourselves. We become less self-interested and more interested in the, in the, in the destination or the future for the people around us, for their eternal security. There's got to be a point in there somewhere to where we take our eyes off of ourselves and we look out into the world and we say, man, I hope they get it. I really hope they get it. You see, it starts on a couple different levels. The first level is this. When you look into the world, do you see people who are at peace? I, I see it occasionally, but it's, but it's not often. You don't see people who are at peace. If you work inside of a school, then you, then you know. There are some kids who come in the door and you know that their life is dark. The brightest part of their life is the fact that they're not at home right now. If you work within um, doctor's offices and hospitals, then you see the same kind of thing. People who walk in completely beat up, and although they may have something wrong with them physically, you can tell there's something far more disturbing under the surface. And you know if you're in the factory, and you know if you're in the restaurant business, and you know anywhere you go, there's going to be people who are just, they're not at peace. See, I think one of the things that happens with Christians is we get so accustomed to just the peaceful presence of God in our life. Oh, we have things that come up and cause us problems, but we're at peace. We can rest. But when you see people who cannot rest, who are not at peace, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. For most of us, this is the way we see the world. There's not enough hours in the day, right? This is the way most of us see the world. But what about the people who see the world in the opposite way? There's too many hours in this day. It won't end. It just constantly goes on. People who are fighting addiction regularly, the day is too long. People who don't have peace, the day is too long. Our responsibility as Christians is to look out into the world and say, these people look like they have no peace. Like they look sad. They look down. They look broken. I wonder if there's any avenue for me to step in and bring any sort of peace into their life. What's really cool about 1 Thessalonians is it ties in, as, as you know, with the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 17. Paul begins chapter 3 by saying, we thought it best that we stay in Athens alone. But we sent you Timothy. Timothy's purpose was to go and be there and to strengthen this church, to bring encouragement to them because they were being persecuted on a regular basis. Because they were being persecuted, what tends to happen is your faith would want to shift and, and falter and waver a little bit. 
And that's what you would think. You would think that that's what would happen. But do you know what happens anytime the church is persecuted? It grows. Every time. Every time. The minute it is persecuted, it does this really strange thing to where it falls apart, it goes different ways, and then it grows again, multiplies. Do you remember the old movie? What was the, uh, you get water on them, what were they called? There you go, gremlins. Like, this is what it's like. Like, it's just more of them and more of them and more of them all the time. It's constantly the same thing. Anytime the church is persecuted, what happens? It grows. You know what the problem with America is? Or has been? It hasn't been persecuted. And the church is weak. But there's a day coming. I bet you. I bet you it's not far off to where it will be. And do you know what it'll have to do? Grow. It'll have to. And you watch, what'll happen is there will be so many of them that will just die out. They will just fall. They will just fall off the vine and die out. Just be done. And it will be hard to hang on. But you watch what will happen. It will grow. It will grow. But it requires scorching sunlight sometimes for things to grow. It just requires it. Now, we have been in the shade little bitty saplings for a long, long time. And there's got to be a point to where it's going to turn. And when it does, it's going to hurt. And, and, and our, hope, our hope is this, that there will be those Timothys in the world who come and they strengthen and they encourage and they hold this up. And this is no wonder that Paul feels the way he feels about the Thessalonian church. Like, I was persecuted, and now you are persecuted, and that's the thing we got in common. Like, it, we are just closer together now. There's just a camaraderie there. You take people who work in, in, in very intense fields, specifically military guys, police officers, firefighters. What you see is this real strange camaraderie that happens inside of them. Just this real strange just connectedness, even if they don't know each other because of where they come from and what they've done and what they're a part of, this is what they just kind of attach. Why? Because you've seen some things, and I know you've seen some things that I have seen and that are disturbing and that, are, that, are, that keep me up at night, and, and I can appreciate that. And I can, I can trust you because I know you've gone through it, and so long as you are if this is, correct me if this is wrong, so long as you are upright and you are walking, that means I can be upright and continue walking, right? You're there and you're good, so I, I can be there and I can be good. So long as you are, I can. And the church is going to have to go through that at some point. What I want to talk about is Acts chapter 17. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it's one of my favorite passages uh, on my list of 100 different passages that are my favorite passages, this is one of my favorite passages in, in, in all the scripture for a, very, for a very specific reason. I need to read you this uh, passage first. Acts chapter 17. This is just very interesting to me, and I, I, I get a little amped up about it. Starting in verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, in Athens, 
He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day after day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then, he took them, uh, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Verse 21. There's a little editorial insertion right here that Luke, the writer, makes, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. All the, Athenians, all, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived, who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I love it. Luke just writes in, and these guys do nothing but sit around and, and listen to each other talk all the time. I'll continue. You know, this, this is kind of what Luke adds. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For, him, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said or own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine as being like gold or silver or stone, an image made by a man's designer skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed among them, and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is one of the coolest stories to me. When you want to talk about how you share your faith with people, this right here is such a good example. Here's what it says, that Paul was in the marketplace in the synagogue. What's it say? <clears throat> Daily. Then he went there. Daily. If you think that you get to walk into a place to where nobody knows you with your gospel tracts or your Bible and strike up a conversation and begin to tell people how they need to repent for the way they're living, um, can I tell you what the, what the average reaction is going to be? <laughs> wow, you're crazy. 
Thank you. No, it's kind of like, and I don't feel any different when I've had these raps on my door. Hey, can I share Jesus with you? Like my instinct is to say, I'd rather you wouldn't, you know. Like I really, really wouldn't want you to do, I don't really want you to do that for me or to me, you know. It's not what I want. No. You know why? Because I'm eating dinner and with my family. And this is awkward, you know. Like you're outside, I'm inside. I'm not opening the door. And you're looking at me through the window and you're trying to, it's awkward. You know? No, that's not just not how it happens. But if you want to connect with people, what do you have to do? You have to be there in their life daily. I love that part of the verse that where it says down there towards the end that God has declared or has designed where men will be, where they will live, the specific places that they will be. Do you realize that you are where you are because God put you where you are? You're like, no, I chose it. Did you? Did you really? Oh, tell me how that happened. And then let's take it a step further. What are you doing here? There's 43 of these in the county, right? But somehow God has something to do with putting us where he wants us. If we want to share our faith with somebody else or share our belief with somebody else or share our story or share life with somebody else, it is not cold call. Now listen, I'm not saying that doesn't work and that some people have not had massive amounts of success with it. What I'm saying is, if you tried that on me, I would not be your friend. I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't listen because I don't, I, just, I don't work that way. No, I don't want that. I got people in my life who I respect and who I love and who I care about and who I share life with and a cold call freaks me out a little bit. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I don't want to. I don't want you to. And what Paul says is he goes and he begins to talk to the people who believed all the same kind of stuff. Do you see where it started? With the, with the Jews. He starts with the Jews. If anybody was a Jew, Paul was a Jew, a true blue Jew through and through. That's Paul, right? Like he is, nobody's more Jewish than, than Paul. He was so Jewish. And where does he start? With people who he has multiple things in common with. You have, you have things in common with people who you work with, Right? That's what, inside of your family, right? Inside of your community. That's where we start. Here's another place. It said that he began to dialogue with them. Do you know what this word is? This is the, this is the Greek word that means I add a piece to the conversation and then you add a piece to the conversation. And then I, you know what one of the words in the middle is? Lego. Does that help? Does that help you remember it? Legos. Here's a piece, and I have a piece, and we take and we put them together. And you give a piece, and I take a piece, and we put them together. And it's like Legos, and we build conversation. Do you know what this means for Christians? Sometimes it's better to shut up. Sometimes we just talk too much. Can I tell you about our Lord and Savior? Uh, here's the thing you really need to know. First of all, you're a sinner, okay? Can we establish this, that you're a sinner? But he raised, you know what? I don't have time for all this, none. It takes time to connect and build these relationships. And see, there's this really kind of uneasy pressure that some of us feel sometimes that, oh, I should be sharing the gospel message all the time in this pressure. And I don't know that that's a great motivation for you to be sharing the gospel message. Like, I don't think you should be sharing it out of guilt. If you do, don't. Like, that's not a good reason. 
Like most of the things that God does in our life happen pretty organically. I don't know if you've, re- if you've, if you've realized this. You just kind of come into them and you have this, real, this, this revelation, this realization. And then you grow and you, all of a sudden you're doing, you're doing different things and you're caring about different things and you're moving closer to it. It's not just this sudden, just radical overturn, you know? And if it is, I think you have to question if it's going to stick. I've had multiple moments in my life where this is a life-changing moment. I wish I could remember some of them. I'd love to tell you about them, you know? But I don't really, I don't remember them. Here's what I do remember, though, is it's been a long, hard trek to kind of keep my eyes on Jesus for a lot of years. I'm getting better at it. I'm not great at it, but I'm getting better at it. And that's what I realize. That's what Paul does. He goes to the place with the, where he shares things that are in common with these people. And then he begins to build conversation. You add to it. I add to it. You add to it. I add to it. Sometimes we just have to shut up. Engage in normal conversation, you know? Engage in normal conversation. In the marketplace day after day, when... Two groups heard him speaking, the Epicureans and the Stoics, okay? So right wing and left wing. Are we good with that? Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, Epicureans, Stoics. The world's not much different than it used to be, okay? So here it is. Epicureans, we find meaning in life. Let me give you an example. Luke is a Stoic. I, on the other hand, operate, sadly enough, and in my former life before Jesus as an Epicurean. The meaning of life is through flavor and pleasure and taste and diving in and embarking, just baptizing yourself in it. Epicurean, okay? Stoics, on the other hand, their main goal is to operate through life with the least amount of emotion as possible. You know which one I am and you know which one Luke is, right? <laughs> like this is, this is, this is really how we, how we kind of operate. And the Stoics live in that place. But the Stoics kind of come from a place that is about, listen, everything is ordained, preordained. It's going to happen whether you want it to happen or not. And Epicureans are on the other side like, you know, I don't know. We just got here. I don't really know. But it's fun and it tastes good, you know. And that's the Epicureans. And we say things like religion is, religion's kind of a, you know what I mean? And then the Stoics on the other side, they're just like, no, no. No, like Epicureans are like, you have free will and you can, you can decide things on your own. And the Stoics are like, oh, no, you can't. God has already made it clear exactly the way your life is going to go, whether you realize it or not. Completely divided group. Here's, here's why this is important. Not only are they Epicureans and Stoics, but they're also philosophers. Phileo, love, Sophia, wisdom, lovers of wisdom. And they live in this place to where this is what they do all the time in the Areopagus, the hill of Ares, the god of war. This is where their supreme court met. Think Harvard, MIT. The brains of all brains of all brains, where you would go to talk philosophy, religion, theology, where would you want to go to get into it deep and thick? Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And this group comes and says, would you like to come and speak at the Areopagus? And this is a huge invite. Do you know why this is important? 
Because here's what it proves, that the gospel message can hold its weight with any worldview that's out there. Like you can put it in the ring with anything and it's going to win. It always does. Like that's what's so powerful about the gospel message. It can be taken into the halls of, and, and these institutions of knowledge everywhere across the world. And do you know what will happen? It will win if it's heard. If it's heard. It can hold its own weight. Then Paul begins, and this is just, this is just beautiful. Verse 22, he walks into the Areopagus. Men of Athens, listen, this is just genius to me. I see in every way how religious you are. And your response is, well, thank you. Why? Because. Did you notice in the very beginning of this, when we started reading about Paul, it says that he went into the city and there were idols everywhere and he was deeply disturbed. Do you know as a Christian there's some things you just don't say to people? Listen, if the idols and everything is messing you up and you don't like it, did you, would you do the Jesus a favor and me and everybody else and keep your trap shut about it? Here's the reason why. No one's going to listen to anything you have to say if you begin with an insult. I don't know what happened with Christians, but it seemed like somewhere in the process, like we did not, like we stopped going to, you know, politeness school, you know? Like we just stopped being normal. I got a, I got a friend who, who always says, where did all the cool Christians go? To which I'll have you know, I always respond, they go to my church. But <laughs> in his situation, in his situation, I don't, I don't know what happened at his place, but... Here, I can, I can say this is what happened. Where did all the cool Christians go? Why can't people just be normal? Why do they have to make it weird all the time? And what Paul says, he's deeply disturbed by all the idols in the area. But when he goes to speak to them, he says this. You are so religious. Deeply, deeply religious. Can you find light in dark places? Because that's supposed to be a thing that you can do as a Christian. Can you look at a situation and find the good of the situation? Like you can see people who are just hell-bent, right? Like hell-bent on destruction. And you've got to be able to look at it and find something positive in there. At least they're committed. You know? I mean, when they do it, they do it, right? If they ever got inspired in the right way, can you imagine what they would do to the world? See, there's a strange thing that I've always had about me that I, that I just know is true. I'm always attracted to people who I believe are going to leave a massive dent in the world, one way or the other. Like, that's who I've always been surrounded by, people who are going to go leave a massive dent in the world for the good or for the bad. That's just, that's just who I've been attracted to. And what Paul is saying when he walks in is, I see in every way how religious you are. And it begins with a compliment. Listen, find the good that's there. It's there. Listen, most people wouldn't have even faulted Paul if he would have said, look, okay, here's the deal. I would love to share this with you, but can we first clear out some of these demonic icons and, and images everywhere? Can we please get rid of some of this? Like, it's kind of giving me the heebie-jeebies, you know? Like, you could have started there. But what he does is he starts with, if Jesus were here, what would he say? 
Well, I can give you an example. There was a woman of ill repute <clears throat> who fell down at Jesus' feet and broke a bottle of perfume and then washed his feet with it and then took her hair and dried his feet with her hair. And everybody around there was just like, if he had any idea what she does for a living, this would not be happening right now. But Jesus didn't, uh, Jesus didn't, he didn't budge on it. Seems like there's another guy, a little short guy, right? Tax collector. Fierce. Fierce little guy. Zacchaeus. I mean wealthy, rich. I'm just, he's the one that pounds on the door and you look through the people and he's not there and you see him jumping, you know? He's the little bitty tiny guy. You know who I am! Like this, he's mad. Like that's the way I see him. And he climbs up in the tree because he wants to understand who Jesus is. He wants to see it better. He wants to kind of figure out who he is. And Jesus says, I think you'd make a good host. Of course he would. He's rich. He's got a great place. He can put on a great spread. And Jesus goes there. And by the end of the meal, Jesus doesn't even hardly do much to the guy or for the guy. Just being in his presence. And Zacchaeus is like, uh, I've ripped everybody off and I'd like to pay it all back just out of the blue. Like, you just can't shut up. He's just with Jesus. And so, is it, is it good? Yeah, it's good. This is really, yeah. I'm a cheater. Like, okay, okay, all right. Well, it's okay, buddy, you know. And this is what we see Jesus do with other people. And the Apostle Paul, he recognizes this and he does the same thing. Men of Athens, I see in every way you are so religious. You're so religious. The underlying, the underlying thought is this. If you ever got turned on to Jesus, <laughs> wow, you'd be good at this. Man, you'd be good at this. And then he says this. And as I walked around and I noticed all these altars, he doesn't even say idols, altars. He uses this very, very positive language. All these altars, I even noticed that you have one to the unknown God. Now, let me give you the history. Paul doesn't, but let me give you it. Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, the Greeks at the time, they had this collection of gods that they would worship. And in the case that maybe they missed one, they had an altar to the unknown God. And here's the reason why. Just in case he showed up. I say you've got one for Ares and you've got one for Zeus and you've got one for Hermes and you where's mine? Like, we didn't know your name. It's over here in the corner. The unknown you. This is who it is. We were thinking of you. We just didn't know. So good to meet you, you know? Like, this is what it was for, just in case. It's insurance. This is what it was. And Paul uses that opportunity right there to do this. Men of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. Even as I walked around and I looked up and down at all of these altars that are here, I noticed that you have one to the unknown God. It just so happens, that's the one I know. Let me introduce you to him. And he begins to talk about Jesus. And the people sit back like, how did we miss this one? How did we miss it? 
and begins to just talk about creation. You know what's cool is if you go through what the Epicureans and what the Stoics believe, Paul's message is this. He's the God of creation. And he's the one who says, this is where men are going to live. And the Stoics are like, I told you he does everything on purpose. And the Epicureans are on the other side going, wow, and he's just so colorful and so caring and so loving. Hey, and bit by bit, like breadcrumbs to geese, just throwing stuff out left and right, they just continue to flock to the center to the point to where some of them even become converts to the faith right there. Members of the Areopagus become converts to the faith. Why? Because he was gentle and he was knowledgeable and he understood and he took the things around him and he began to use them to show people this is what faith does. See, here's what's crazy. Some of you are mechanics. You understand things about cars and vehicles and, and, and motors and machinery that I will never understand in one trillion lifetimes, ever. And see, you have the opportunity to be able to look at some of those things and say, this is what this is, and it operates this way, and that is like faith. That is like Christianity. That is like the resurrection. You have that. You have these things that are around you. Some of you are construction guys. And what you do is you build. And you mean to tell me that that is not something like the creator? That somehow God created you and now you can't stop building stuff? You look just like him no matter what you try to say. You cannot stop looking like him because you just keep building stuff and you keep planting stuff and you keep connecting and you keep fixing stuff. You look just like him. See, you begin to look at the world around you. What, what is it that you know? What is the trade that you know? What is the information that you carry? How does your world work? What are the things that are in there in, in, that you've studied that you know? How do they correspond to Scripture? Because I promise you, they do. They do in some weird way. They do. And your responsibility is to begin to pray and say, hey, God, show me what it is that I do that's like this. Show me what, how these two worlds connect. That's the overall goal. And Paul begins by telling them this, and then he brings them all the way into the middle of it. And it said that some of them sneered. But it also says that he was invited back. Resurrection of the dead. Come on, fella. No one's believing that. Uh, but we're open Tuesday of next week if you want to come back. And see, that's not how we measure success. We don't measure success on as if everybody walks out and is like, he's a good guy and we all like him. It's not how we measure success. Here's how we measure success. Just stay in the community that you're in. Just keep being in that place. Keep loving the people that God puts in your circle. Keep taking care of them. And then watch what he does around you. Because I promise you, it, it's just a thing that happens. The very second you begin to say, God, show me how my world can relate to somebody else's. He will. He will. <clears throat> Paul ends in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. 
In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Another interesting point is that the Stoics were really big on justice. The Stoics cared about justice. Like this is the thing that it's, it's important that, that, that justice is carried out. And Paul takes that and he puts that right into their life. He quotes their own poets. You see, there's an investment that Paul has in the people that are, he's around. An investment. And his main goal is I've got to find a way to get Jesus to the front of this conversation. And if it takes me 100 years, I'm going to wait. That I'm going to get Jesus to the front of this conversation because they need to hear it. Final thought, I love the fact that Paul does not shrink away from the idea of repentance, that he does not change that. Listen, here's what we get in church a whole lot, you know. It's okay, just hang in there. You and Jesus will finally get it right eventually. That's a common, that's a common teaching everywhere. It's all right, just hang in there. You and Jesus will eventually get it right. Here's Paul's words. Yeah, you better, have, you better change that quickly. You need to change it. You need to change it. This isn't judgment. Judgment's coming. Thus, change it. For us, there's two things. We can't water, the, we can't water down the gospel. We can't water it down. And trust me, there's times I'm tempted to. I'd like to. Because it just sounds so rigid. But we can't. We just have to hold tight to that God is who God is and that he's going to be compassionate and he's going to be loving. And the other side of it is this. Even as Christians, we don't get the chance to just avoid repentance like we live in constant repentance. We live in a place to where we're constantly saying, ah, I need to change my mind on this. I need to change my mind on this. I need to change the way I do this. That's repentance, us doing the 180. And for us, that's the responsibility. The world will notice that we're different. They will notice that we're different when we're different. 